Familiar story, did anybody heard of Moses? Kind of a main character in the book of Exodus. He comes on the scene here uh, in chapter two of uh, the book. Uh, he's born, he's born in a, in a troubling, dangerous time, scary, scary time. Uh, and he's put in a, in a basket by his mom and rescued. And so we're gonna kind of unpack that familiar story. I remember hearing that when I was a little kid in church. Some of us grew up in church. It's like, it's like uh, Bible 101. It's like one of the first things you hear, right? Baby Moses rescued from the Nile. So uh, we're gonna tackle it. And in, and in reading this story, we're gonna see lots of parallels uh, to the gospel that we preach here on a regular basis. Um, what we believe here as a church, what we believe based on what we read in scripture is that um, we are in trouble, lost and hopeless and helpless. But Moses, this baby that we're gonna read about today, was set in a river, three weeks, or excuse me, three weeks, three months old, not able to swim, not able to feed himself, not able to provide for himself, hopeless and helpless. And God pulls him out of his river. Uh, we, spiritually speaking, come to God hopeless and helpless. Nothing in of us, in us could save us or, or provide us a way back to him and his grace. But he, by his grace, has made a way through his son Jesus Christ and he's pulled us out of our river. Now we see other parallels with Moses in this story and with uh, Christ as our savior I find it interesting that uh, what was meant to be Moses' end, the river, as we're gonna see, it's decreed that uh, all of Egypt will throw the firstborn sons of the Israelites, these, this slave nation, into the river. The river was meant to be the end of Moses, but the river became the salvation of Moses. It's from the river that he finds life. Isn't it fascinating that God uses uh, death to overcome death? The death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, is what gives us life in the spiritual death that we exist in without him. You know, when you think about it, uh, just ponder for a second. It's kind of how things work in life, especially amongst us who uh, depend on dead things to feed us. I don't mean to ruin your lunch, but uh, uh, that's how it kind of works, right? I mean, even if you're a vegetarian, we had to pull those suckers out of the ground. They're not growing anymore. Uh, <laughs> So regardless of what you eat, as, as you live, you live off of dead things. And, and isn't it uh, kind of fascinating that God has sought to take death and reverse its curse by using the death of his son to bring us life. Lots of parallels. If you're not familiar with the gospel, if you haven't received Christ, that's kind of step one in this whole church thing, us being together and studying his word. I pray you'll come up and talk to me about it. I'd love to share with you more. But Let's get to Moses and some of the things that we find in his story. If I had to kind of you know, take a snapshot of, of the Bible and what it's about, uh, a lot of the themes uh, would be uh, what we see here in these few verses at the beginning of Exodus chapter two. We see God overcoming uh, the sin and the brokenness uh, and, and bringing a, a helpless one uh, into life, pulling us, like I said, from a river. Um, he does this in a world that's broken. Does everybody agree with me that the, the world we're in is kind of busted up? And that, uh, what is it, the second law of thermodynamics that says everything is moving towards decay? Is it? Yeah. Nice. Cool. Thank you, Bob. Uh, uh, you know, that, that, that goes uh, for everything. Like my sock drawer, why, why am I missing socks? What's up with that? The, the, the dryer eats them? I don't know. But, but, uh, but everything in life, from your sock drawer to the... The, the very 
thing that is life. It, it's, it, it, we're in a broken world. I, I was reminded of this the other night. I was driving home with Eleanor. And we went and saw um, our daughter, Kai. She lives in Tallahassee. Go Knowles. Anyway, um, we uh, were driving back from our visit on Friday night, and as is wont to happen in Florida, because people are idiots on the highway, aren't they? Uh, not us, right? But, uh, but people. Anyway, uh, we came up over a, a rise in the road on I-10, and, and of course there they were, all the brake lights for miles, just as far as you could see. And so we nestled into our spot in this traffic jam and waited to see what the cause of it was. Everybody's, you know, that's kind of the big thing. What, what's slowing us down? Well, we got to this, this first vehicle on the side of the road. It was just a wrecker. It was, had his hazards on. Of course, everybody's craning. Never seen one of those before. But, you know, uh, it was apparently waiting to be, you know, brought into the to the whatever was happening up ahead. So that was part of the slowdown. That was benign enough. But then, then we got a few miles further, you know, 10, 20 minutes later, and, uh, and we saw this, this Mercedes Benz that was actually up on a wrecker. And, and uh, people, of course, were, you know, rubbernecking on that thing. Uh, but, but traffic still wasn't moving. It's, it, it, that wasn't the source either. That, that probably happened as a result of traffic slowing down, right? Whatever happened with her car. Um, well, we went a few miles further, and then we saw it. This was what was causing the slowdown. Uh, an old Suburban, like maybe a, an early 80s, you know, like a really old Suburban. I don't know when they started coming out, but uh, it was on the side of the road, and it had been pulling like a 30-foot camper trailer. And uh, uh, as you got closer, you realized that both had burnt to, like, the ground. It was just the holes, the shells, like the frame of the camper was still visible, but everything else was gone. Uh, that'll, that'll shut a highway down. Of course, we prayed that the, you know, everybody involved had you know, escaped the flames and that there was no lice, loss, uh, loss of life. But uh, how's that for a, for, for a Friday night? Hey, hon, let's load up the old Suburban in the camper and go, go camping this weekend. It'll be a lot of fun. Hey, dear, you know, somewhere, somewhere between Tallahassee and Lake City, hey, dear, our camper's on fire. We should probably pull over. Oh, hey, dear. Uh, prayerfully, as we're standing in the median, now our truck's on fire. Uh, things can go from bad to worse. Everybody with me? Things go from bad to worse in the story of the children of Israel in Exodus. Because if, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that uh, uh, chapter 1 starts with us finding out that they're, you know, they're flourishing. They're multiplying here in this foreign land. And it's a cause of concern for the leadership of Egypt. Pharaoh and his people get together and they say, hey, listen, we've got to do something about this. So they, they force them into slavery. Maybe that will slow down their production. Uh, but it doesn't. They continue to just grow in number and, and flourish. And so Pharaoh says, well, now we've got to not just have them be slaves, but we're just going to pummel these guys. We are going to make life miserable, uh, and, and maybe that will slow them down. But it didn't. Uh, so, so Pharaoh says, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start um, kind of on the down low in a covert affair here, a covert operation. Uh, we're going to start actually uh, erasing Israelites. As, as, as male children are born to the nation of Israel, we're going to have their midwives um, kill them. They're, they're going to um, uh, take them away as they're being born and, and return them to their mothers uh, no longer living. Uh, they actually involved some of the Hebrew women. Uh, a couple of Hebrew midwives were a part of the plot, and, uh, but they wouldn't do it. They, they feared God more than they feared the Egyptian king. And if you were here last week, we talked about that. Uh, they said the, the Hebrew women are too vigorous. Childbirthing machines, those girls are. We can't get there in time, and they already know their babies are alive, so there's no use in us, you know, 
carrying out your plot. It just wouldn't work. They were blessed by God. We kind of left with that uh, last week. But here we are in verse 22 of chapter 1 as we begin. And we see that um, things go from bad to worse, that life can get pretty terrifying at times. Uh, The Pharaoh commanded all his people here in verse 22, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you'll let every daughter live. So so here's what's happened. The, The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has deputized the entire nation. And he said, hey, listen, anytime you see one of these Hebrew slaves give birth to a son, you don't have to go to the courts, you don't have to find a cop, you don't have to do anything. You are, by my command, commanded, told, I mean, this is what you have to do, it's law. Go find that son and walk him down to the Nile and throw him in. Okay, so we read some stuff in the Bibles and we scrub it in our minds because You know, that's just too horrible for us to think about. Let's get to the good part. But don't miss the bad part. This is is the worst that can happen in in, in human existence, is that people um, refuse to value human life. In modern uh, eras, uh, we've seen genocides in places like Rwanda and other parts of the world. We've we've seen the final solution is propagated by uh, Hitler's Nazis. Um, It's just... It's abominable, unbearable. Eleanor and I uh, uh, were, were blessed to be able to travel to Amsterdam and, and walk through Anne Frank's house. And we've read her diary, many of us, because they made us at school. But uh, to just be in that place and think, people lived here for two years and then were sent to concentration camps where they died. I mean, it's just unspeakable what must have gone on in that time in the nation of Israel in Egypt. As parents, you've got to just be afraid to even be pregnant, right? You're rolling your, you know, 50-50, Lord, let this be a girl. Let this be a girl. Things can get really dark really fast. So I just want to talk about this familiar story and the things that we find in it uh, to uh, help us in those dark in trying times. Uh, when life gets scary, we do two things. The first one's this, um, faith's what we bring to our fears. We, we, when we get scared, when we find ourselves in impossible situations against um, overwhelming odds, when we find ourselves there, we turn our hearts uh, to our faith in our God. It's our chief weapon fashioned for us against uh, the darkness of this world. It's our faith. Throughout the scriptures, you see it on display. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, there's lots of things you can bring to fear, and we all do, right? We all have our methods. Some of us deny, what, I'm not afraid, there's nothing there. Some of us freak out, right? Um, Some of us just work harder trying to overcome whatever we're afraid of. But the proper tool is faith. When I was a kid, I used to uh, try to build things without the proper tools. Because like the tools in my house, which weren't many, my dad only had like three, the hammer, the screwdriver, and the wrench, right? Uh, But those were off limits to me. And my dad was wise in doing that because I would have lost every one of them instantly. So I couldn't go take his tools, but I'd still want to build whatever I found you know, lying around the scraps that I could form and fashion into some go-kart or something like that. So I'd get bent nails and a rock 
Anybody been there? You gotta be a certain age. And everybody's got like Minecraft now, you can build whatever you want with your thumbs. But back when we were kids, it was bent nails and rocks. You may wanna guess how sturdy some of those things that we built were. Not something you wanna <laughs> ride down the street, I'll tell you that right now. But when you find the right tools, man, isn't that a glorious project? When you find, like I, I've, I've been working on my house and, and I have a limited set of tools, but when guys come over, like my buddy Osha just opens up the back of his truck. He's got this slider that comes out of the back of his truck and it's just this, it's like Home Depot on wheels. It's like everything you can imagine. And, and he can finish a project at my house in minutes that would have taken me four trips to Lowe's and, and, uh, and several confessions. Um, <laughs> I've picked up on some of that, and so when I come into you know, certain situations, I, bring, I try to find the right tools. I went, we went and saw my daughter, Kai, and she's living in an apartment with her, her friends, and she has her own bathroom, and, and she has beautiful, long, thick brown hair, beautiful girl. And uh, it comes out when she showers and goes into her, her tub and in her drain, and it just clogs up that drain like all get out. Like we got there and, and, uh, and you know, went into her bathroom, and it was still from the morning, her, her, her morning shower, it's still puddled there in the tub. And we're like, babe, you can fix that, you know. Yeah. So after lunch, we, we drove to, you know, a store and we bought some liquid plumber. And I, on, right next to the liquid plumber, I found the drain weasel. <laughs> what an incredible tool this is. It's just an auger. It's just, you know, a snake. But but they've, they've fashioned the end with bristles. And they take this handle and you, you stick this thing down. You don't have to pop the plug. You can just take it right down through the plug of the drain. And you stick it down there and you just kind of twist, twist, twist. It's like, it's like twirling spaghetti on the end of your fork. <laughs> Enjoy your lunch, yeah. <laughs> Everybody meet at Macaroni Grill. Okay. Uh, but in moments compared to what it would have taken me, I mean, we're just... We're unclogging drains because we had the right tool. I don't mean to belabor, but listen, when it comes to fear, there's, there's one right tool. It's faith. It's trust. I'm not saying you just sit there and don't do anything. Faith is the beginning, and it's the, the carrier for all of the efforts that we make in handling whatever our situations are, but it's faith. I mean, read your Bibles. How often do we see in the stories of God's people in the Scriptures that faith began whatever was the victory that came in their lives? Like David has no business as a little shepherd boy with a sling going up against a giant who's been trained to kill but he says, hey, man, me and God, we're a majority. Elijah waters down a sacrifice. No matches as he competes against the prophets of Baal. But his faith won the day. Fast forward to the, to the New Testament. Peter, a seasoned fisherman, is in a storm that he fears is going to take his life. While it's going on, a figure appears on the waves. He has a conversation. He determines that, that it's his Messiah, his Savior, his, his, his master, his rabbi. And he says, if it's you, I'm coming out. And a man like you and me walked on water with the Son of God. 
because he was well-trained and skilled? No, because his eyes were fixed and his faith was sure. Hmm. Some of you are like, yeah, preach it, Mark. Talk to me about faith because I want to know that when I have faith, I'm going to get everything I want. That's a different church. They're probably down the road somewhere. It's not this church because I will tell you, sometimes you'll walk in faith and it won't bring about the results that you desire. I prayed in faith for months. For my friend to be healed. And she was. She's with Jesus. As good as she's ever been. But don't for a second think that just because you have faith, everything's going to be all right. That's Bob Marley. That's not Jesus. Because sometimes you're Stephen and you stand up in the middle of a crowd that hates you and is railing against you and you preach the gospel anyway. And they pick up rocks and they throw them at you until you're dead. And you're like, well, what about faith there? He had faith and it cost him his life. Oh, but his faith made all the difference in the story of the early church. Because you keep reading Acts, it's from that that we see figures like Saul, who becomes Paul, move forward. It's from that that we see the early church disperse throughout the Mediterranean region and take the gospel with them. Sometimes your faith is being used of God in ways that won't benefit you but will benefit him and his story moving forward. But regardless, when it comes to fear, we have faith. Let me read you this story so I can stop preaching and go home. Can I do that? Now a man, his name's Amram. Everybody say Amram. You'll learn that in Exodus 6. Uh, He's from the house of Levi. The Levites are going to be huge here in the story of Exodus. So put a pin in that and we'll talk more about them later. Uh, But he, uh, he goes and he takes as his wife a Levite woman. Her name's Jochebed. Everybody say Jochebed. Yeah, so these are the parents of who we will know uh, to be Moses. Um, This woman, it says in verse 2, conceived and bore a son. Uh, They apparently had already given birth to a daughter. Um, Later on in the story, we meet one of Moses' sisters. Uh, Her her name's Miriam. Maybe there were other daughters. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, um, there's a daughter and, and another son. We know he exists because later on we meet him and he's Aaron. He was probably born uh, before Moses and so wasn't subjected to the decree of the death of the firstborn. But uh, here in verse 2, Jochebed conceives and bears a son. And it says that when she saw that he was a fine child, uh, what mother doesn't look at her baby and say, this is the most beautiful baby in the world? If you ask me, every time a kid comes out, they look like a lizard. I think they look like a li- <laughs> They're kind of, you know, (laughs) that's probably horrible. Anyway, uh, 
but, but no parent thinks that their kid's ugly, right? And so we might just read this and think, oh, yeah, of course he thinks it's a fine child. But it's, it, you're going to miss some of the weight of the Hebrew language here. Fine here is the same word that's used uh, or the same grouping of words that God uses when he describes his creation. He gets to the end of the day and he says, that's good. That's fine. That's good. In other parts of the scripture, it, it depicts a, a chosen one. And so uh, Jochebed looks at her baby and says, oh, this kid is fine. And so uh, she determines uh, that she's going to do everything she can to make sure he survives. She hides him for three months and, and so begins her faith exercise. Can you imagine being a mom who uh, has to hide an infant? You know, I, I picture uh, every time uh, this baby that we know to be Moses started crying, uh, his siblings were instructed to start singing. No radio to turn up in those days, right? So we need something that'll kind of drown out the noise of this, this infant that's being hidden by his mom. Uh, I don't know how she did it. The Bible doesn't speak to it. The teller of the story isn't concerned with it. But certainly every day she woke up to the fear that she would be discovered and that her son would be taken from her. Hmm. She's commended for this. Later in the story of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of this um, collection of Old Testament saints uh, who by faith uh, were seen as righteous. And it says in Hebrews 11:23 that by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, fine, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Did everybody get, up, get a picture there of what happened? By faith, they were not afraid. By faith, they were not afraid. Hmm. Certainly the parents in the room and the future parents in the room heed this, but, uh, but the parents in the room can understand this faith because they've had their own kids, right? I mean, we didn't have to put them in a basket and float them down a river, but we had to drop them off for their first day of school. We had to if, they, uh, if you've grown to this level with your kids, we had to sit in the passenger seat while they drove for the first time. Come on. No pedals, no wheel, just your voice in your hand grabbing them. That would shortly be followed by the first solo drive of your kid's newly minted licensed existence. All right, have a good time at Dairy Queen. Bring back my car. Lord, let's pray for every motorist in Brandon right now. <laughs> right? Who's been there? If you go long enough, uh, they'll graduate from high school, God willing, and they'll head off to the military or college, and, and you'll be there, and off they'll go. <laughs> and then you think you're done. <laughs> uh, then they're adults, and they make decisions that you'd never make for their lives. And you just got to stand there. We understand. If you're a parent, you understand faith because you can't control. If you're a parent, you understand fear because you can't control. Things go a lot of times from bad to worse. They do here in this story. When she could hide them no longer, verse 3 she took for him a, a basket. Uh, this is the Hebrew word teba. Everybody say teba. 
Tebah means ark. It's the word translated in our scriptures, ark. It's only here and in the story of Noah that it appears in the Old Testament. Somewhere like, what's the ark of the covenant? Different word. Uh, this is a boat. And so just as God instructed Noah to be saved from the waters that were coming in his world, uh, God instructs uh, Jochebed to build an ark for her son. She made it out of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, both things that were used in the construction of Noah's ark. And she put the child in it and she placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. This was strategic. The reeds were where the flow of the river was least. Because when you think Nile, don't think Hillsboro. Think uh, Mississippi, okay? It's a big sucker. And so you wanted to stay where the current was least. Uh, but there's also just a beautiful irony, a beautiful picture of things to come. In 12 chapters, this baby uh, will be a man who leads the nation of Israel, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them already, out of Egypt to the Reed Sea, which we call the Red Sea. And just as he was plucked from the reeds, he will lead the nation of Israel through the reeds. God knows what he's doing when he takes a story on, right? It says in verse four that his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. So three months, she's able to hide this baby, but as he grows older and as the risks grow greater, she says, it's it. I, I gotta do something to hopefully preserve my son's life. And so she, she pulls off kind of a, a deal that happened you know, probably 100 years ago more often here in our country, but probably still happens in some ways. When, 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 a, when a family couldn't provide for their kids, a lot of times they would just wrap them up in their best bonnet, their best clothes, and put them in a, you know, in a, in a carrier or something like that and drop them off at the police station or drop them off at the fire station or drop them off somewhere where they know they'll find the safety and someone will care for them. That's, this is their best shot. She's a slave woman. She's got no rights, no means of transportation, no way of protecting her child in any other way than she puts him in a basket and floats him down a river and hopes someone finds him and takes pity on him and takes him in. Mothers, anybody want to do that with one of your kids? On their bad days, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Yesterday I did. Anyway, uh, but you know that the part of this story that's, that's, that's the most challenging for me is the part the sister plays. Mother couldn't even, you know, go, probably would have tipped people off. Uh, so she stayed away. But she commissioned this little girl, I'm assuming a little girl, uh, to, to come and stand by the shores and just watch and find out what happens. That's the part of faith I have the hardest time with, the watching and waiting, the seeing what happens. Because I'm like you. I want to do something. I want to manipulate some circumstances here. I, I, I love doing all that I can because then I only need faith in me and my abilities to shape my outcomes. But what I'm finding the longer I go is that so much of my life lies outside of my control. I just don't have it. I think I do, but I don't. But I'll confess, as I'm standing on those shores, I go back and forth. I vacillate between what I've been told to do uh, in my relationship with God and between what I, what I, in my desperation, feel like doing. I've been told, as I stand on the shore and wait for God to act, to walk in faith, and in that faith to have a hope for my future. But what I wrestle with is walking in fear, and in my fear, just resigning to the worst. Huh. 
That's why this next thing as we close today is, well, kind of close. Don't you hate it when a pastor says we're going to close and he goes for another 20 minutes? <laughs> so I, I rescind that. I retract my closing statement. <laughs> but this is the last point I'll preach. That's why I'm so glad in those moments as I'm standing on the shore that God's grace is always sufficient for me in every fear of my life. That when I don't know what's going on, he does. That when I'm unable, he is. And he's more than able. More often than not, uh, God's pulling us from rivers and we don't even see it. Like, I don't know when the last close call was for you in your car or you just dodged what could have been a really bad accident, but that was a river and God pulled you out. I don't know when the last big fight was in your marriage, but when God, by his um, power and strength, overcame your anger and hurt, and led you to connect again with your spouse, and you talked it through, and you, you, you came to a place of forgiveness and love. I'd love to give you the credit for that, but what I believe is that God pulled you from that river. Because God in his grace is what brings any good in life. And God in his grace brings about an incredible good, a miraculous good here in the life of Moses. Verse 5 tells us that the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. You know the story. And uh, while her young women, her attendants were there walking beside her, she saw this basket among the reeds and she sent her servant woman to go get it and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. Now put a pen in it right there and let's, let's go back to the shore where I think Miriam, it's probably Miriam is, is kind of watching to see what happens. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to you know, say for sure this is what was going on, but uh, let's pause for a moment and just for a second uh, allow for this to maybe be true. Um, wouldn't this be the worst person in the world to find Moses? Because whose dad made the decree? Yeah, Princess Leah up there or whoever it is, right? Uh, it's her dad who made the law. Every assumption could be made that this girl, this princess, is right in line with her father's ideas. And so I, I, if I'm Miriam, or whoever she is, I'm standing on the shore, and I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm, I'm just going, no, 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 no. And how often has that happened in my life? Where I pray and I say, God, here, here's the deal. I would love to be you know, more of this or more of this. And the next thing that happens in my life is the exact opposite of what I would have imagined would happen so that I could do what I prayed to be able to do. Like there have been people, probably in this room, but people that I've known from the past, who said to God at a time in their lives, Lord, I sense you leading me to be more generous to your work, to your church, to your ministries around the world, so would you please increase my store so that I can give you more. And the next day they went to work and they were released from their jobs. And they were standing there going like, Lord, I don't know if you heard my prayer right. I wanted to be able to give more, and you've taken everything that I have away. Lord, I, I want to you know, have more time to serve you in your ministries and in your church. 
You've given me an able body and a chance to, you know, I just want to use it for your glory. And the next day you go to the doctor and you're going to be going through chemo for the next year and a half. And we're going to hope you make it. Lord, I, this is, again, is this, you know, I'm trying to do a phone and a microphone at the same time. Is this thing working? I don't know if you're hearing me. We don't have it here, but I'm sure uh, by faith his mother, his mother was hoping for the best. But as Pharaoh's daughter picks her kid out of the Nile, she's got to, you know, at least the daughter's got to be thinking, oh, no, but read what it says. It says that when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying, and she took pity on him and said, hey, this is one of those Hebrew kids. Some people are like, how could she tell it was a Hebrew kid um, if these Hebrews were keeping with uh, the, the laws of circumcision, that would be a sure sign. This one's a Jew. But whatever it was, she, she knew it was a Hebrew kid. And it says that she takes pity on This one who would be the least likely to have pity takes pity. So seeing this, this daughter watching on the shore, um, buoyed by God's faithfulness, um, enacts her own courage. It says, then his sister, verse 7, said to the Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse? Everybody, everybody getting the, the, the what of this? A little girl, a slave girl, no standing in society, approaches royalty. The Pharaoh and his, his, his family were seen as gods in Egypt. She was approaching deity. And she says, excuse me, ma'am, notice that you found a baby there. What a dink. I happen to know someone who might be of assistance to you who is uh, nursing right now and could nurse this child so that uh, you wouldn't have to bother trying to find someone else to do it. Pharaoh's daughter says to her, go. Yeah, sounds great. So the girl goes and calls Jochebed and Pharaoh's daughter um, says to Jochebed, the mother of the baby in the basket, take this child away to your home and nurse him for me and I will, get this, pay you. Now, those churches down the road will use this as a, you know, an opportunity to tell you, see, faith pays. If you're faithful, God will pay you. I won't say that because that's an abomination. It's not what Scripture teaches. Is everybody with me on that? But I will tell you that God on the regular is making our cups overflow. May not come in monetary values, but on the regular, he isn't just giving us a little grace, he's giving us grace upon grace. Unspeakable grace. Mom puts baby in basket, hopes he survives. Mom gets baby back and gets paid. That's a good day at the river. So it says the woman took the child, his mom took him home, and she nursed him, and when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, as was arranged. And he became her son. And, and Pharaoh's daughter is the one that named her. Uh, she named him Moses because I drew him out of the water. Uh, Masai in, in uh, Hebrew is draw out. Uh, that's why it says there Moses was his name because she drew him out of the water. But Masai, that's a hard word to pronounce in Egyptian, in the ancient language of Egypt, is uh, 
born to or born of. So like Ramses means Ra, the god Ra, and Se is born. So born of Ra. Ramses was the one born of Ra. Um, so scholars have argued, is this really a Hebrew word or is it really an Egyptian word? I think it's a little bit of both. Because this baby was born to draw out. He's the one that God's going to use to lead his children from outside in. Lots of ironies in the story of Moses. One of my favorites, though, is the fact that Pharaoh, who decreed the death of all Israeli boys, uh, his house became the savior of this Israeli boy. Pharaoh paid for this child to be nursed and weaned, and uh, then he invited him unknowingly into his home and raised him as a part of his greater family. Uh, This child would grow up in the palace and one day be the palace's undoing as he comes back into the story and ushers in these 10 plagues, which we'll get to, but as I remember the last plague, what goes around comes around in this instance, right? Because the story of Moses begins with the decree of the death of the firstborn and the story of Moses in Egypt ends with the decree of the death of the firstborn. The first was made by a Pharaoh The second was made by the one true God. Lots of parallels. But in the whole of the story, I I find this comfort that when fears arise, faith is my source. That when fears arise, God's grace is sufficient for me. I read uh, some verses with my friends. I'm just going to read them real fast. They're in Philippians, but I want them to be an encouragement to you. If you find yourself in a scary spot, some of you are good, you came in, you're just worried about lunch, let's go. But some of you came in, this was a hard week. It's been a hard month, a hard year. Scary stuff. Let me encourage you. Paul wrote this from prison to his friends at a church in a place called Philippi. Uh, He says, the Lord is at hand. He just got done, you know, spending three or four pages talking about joy and how he should have joy in the Lord. We just said in the verse prior to this, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. He's been saying, listen, guys, bright side this thing. Move forward despite your circumstances. Live in joy. But then he gives the reason. He says, the Lord's at hand. God's got us. And then he addresses fear. He says, since God's got us, don't be anxious about anything. But instead, in everything... Then he goes to prayer, which is the relational component that we share with our God. We get to talk to him, he gets to talk to us. He says, listen, in everything, by faith in prayer, by, by, by the faith-building exercise that is prayer and the building of your relationship with God, by supplication, by the faith asking, by, the, by coming to God and saying, Lord, this is what I need. I lack it, I can't get it, I'm out of control, it's beyond me, I'm standing at the side of this river, you're gonna have to do where I cannot by prayer and by supplication. And then he throws this in, and I love this, with what? Thanksgiving. When you pray and when you talk to God, when you find yourself anxious, pray. Connect with God. Pray. Ask for what you lack from God. But pray and thank God. Be reminded of the things that God has been faithful to do in your life prior to this anxious event. Because when you recall the goodness of a God who pulls you from the river. And when you remember that he set your feet upon a rock and he made your footsteps firm, when you 
reflect on the goodness of a God who has always loved you and who has been faithful. Well then, you can head forward into whatever is the unknown and know that if he's done it before, he can do it again. And then he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And if you've ever been afraid and you've sensed the peace of God, you get it. You know that this doesn't come in a book. This isn't in the self-help section of some bookstore. This is, this is different. This is the peace that transcends. And it acts like a guard. I love that Paul does that. It's such a, you know, he's, he's sitting in a prison. He's being guarded as he's probably writing this, dictating this to whoever's writing it down. And he says, you know what our guard is? The peace of God. It guards our hearts and our minds. It builds this fence around us so that the fears can't get in and we can walk forward in faith. May God grant you that peace. May you remember that faith is the only tool that works in the face of fear. May you be amazed by the grace of our God. He's a great God, isn't he? I said he's a great God, isn't he? Yeah. Let's stand and sing about our great God.